Strangers, my sister is coming to stay this weekend, and she asked if we're putting the nice sheets on the guest bed. At this point, all we have is the nice sheets because I've replaced all my old bedding sets with Miracle Made. I love my Miracle Made sheets. Miracle Made keeps me cool at night to help keep me asleep. For those of you following along at home, I don't get a lot of deep sleep, so I need all the help I can get staying nice and comfy to stay asleep and get actual rest. With Miracle Made, there's no waking up sweaty, needing to change pajamas or put towels down. And I'm not even in menopause yet. Hopefully by the time I am, Miracle Made will be making pajamas. By the way, Miracle Made, I'm available for a partnership. Miracle Made sheets use technology inspired by NASA with silver infused fabrics to help regulate your body temperature and to prevent 99.9% of bacteria growth which means you're not laying on sheets that harbor more germs than a toilet seat, and you don't need to clean them as often as your regular sheets. Go to trymiracle.com strange to try Miracle-Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo strange at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com strange and use the code strange to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com strange to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Have you ever thought about what the strangest way to die might be? Have you ever wondered what your exit from this mortal coil might look like? We all spend a little time considering our inevitable demise. Will we live fast, die young, and leave a beautiful corpse? Or will it be more of a shuffle slowly and depressedly toward a late and unappealing end? Either way, I doubt too many of us consider the bizarre and incendiary possibility of impromptu immolation. That's just a fancy way of saying spontaneous combustion, as our last moments on Earth. Except for you, strangers. I know a few of you have thought about it. That's why you're here. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I've never been described as someone who lights up a room, but some might say I do have an explosive personality. And there have been times when my life has pretty much blown up, but not, thankfully, most of my body. At least, not as of yet. Considering how random it seems to be to spontaneously combust, though, I suppose it could happen at any moment. In that case, we better get going. A quick warning before we do, though, I am going to be making some jokes at the expense of some poor souls who suffered the awful fate of randomly catching fire and burning to death. So if that kind of thing doesn't light your particular fire, may I suggest heading over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash strange and unexplained for some less gruesome fare? This is not to suggest that my bonus episodes are never gruesome, but so far I've managed to mostly steer clear of the most awful and depressing habits of human beings. And anyway, there's lots to choose from, whether it's haunted theme parks based on tripped-out British TV shows, ancient rune stones claiming white people got to America centuries before Christopher Columbus, or treasure hunters. For just five bucks, there's plenty to choose from on our Patreon with three bonus episodes a month, plus other goodies. 
And for just $7, you get all the bonus stuff plus all the regular episodes ad-free. So head on over to patreon.com slash strange and unexplained and become an intimate stranger. Human death is never funny. Well, I mean, sometimes it's kind of funny. I once met someone at a party who had broken her wrist slipping on cat puke, and I told her she was lucky she didn't die because woman dies slipping on cat puke is too funny not to laugh at. She nodded at me blankly and wandered away to talk to someone else. This may be why I don't get invited to parties. Anyway... Around 9 p.m. on July 1st, 1951, shortly after a visit from her son, 67-year-old Mary Hardy Reeser took two sleeping pills and sat down in an armchair for one last cigarette before going to bed. The next morning, Reeser's landlady, Pansy Carpenter, which would be a great name for a drag queen who's also a carpenter, came to deliver a telegram but found the doorknob to the apartment too hot to touch. She called emergency services, and when firefighters entered the apartment, which was filled with smoke, they found the chair where Reeser had sat for her pre-bedtime cigarette burned down to the coils. On and around it was a pile of black ashes, a spine, a left foot still wearing a slipper, and Reeser's skull, which had shrunken down to the size of a teacup. According to a piece about this case from the St. Petersburg Times from 2019, there was evidence the room had been exposed to extreme heat, but not flames. For example, quote, bare candle wicks towered above puddles of melted wax. Smudges of smoke had stained the tops of the walls. Warped electric switches lined the room, end quote. Paint on the wall about four feet from the chair in which Reeser had sat the night before was scorched, but near the smoldering chair, things like newspapers and bedsheets remained completely untouched by heat or flame. Police received hundreds of theories from all over. According to the piece in the St. Petersburg Times, quote, theorists blamed everything from the fabric of the chair cushion to napalm, phosphorus, and thermite bombs. A ball of fire came through the open window and hit her, read one letter. I seen it happen, end quote. But with no actual answers, the local authorities reached out to the FBI. Samples of Reeser's carpet, smoke samples, rubble from the walls and floor, and segments of the chair were sent to an FBI laboratory for testing, but nothing unusual came back. If it strikes you as odd that the FBI got involved in a case of an elderly woman of seemingly no political importance dying mysteriously alone in her apartment, you're not alone. If you don't find it odd, perhaps you know something I don't? I understand that investigators were baffled by the death, but I would imagine the FBI is generally pretty busy and was especially so in the early 50s under J. Edgar Hoover, who had a real boner for rooting out all the pinko commies. What could the FBI possibly want with this case? There had also been no evidence of a lightning strike, a blown fuse, or a fire accelerant. And needless to say, napalm seemed unlikely. So when someone wrote into the St. Petersburg Times in the aftermath of the event, suggesting that Reeser had spontaneously combusted without any other answers, 
This was the one that became most popular around the proverbial water cooler. The FBI, however, wasn't having any of this spontaneous human combustion nonsense, and they ruled that out. Though, Lord knows, the FBI has made plenty of declarations over the years that people have ignored. Most likely, what happened was that Reeser fell asleep while smoking that last cigarette and lit herself on fire. Her son told investigators that she took two Secanol sleeping pills while he was there and apparently announced that she intended to take two more. That seems like an awful lot of sleeping pills, but her son was a physician, and I suppose if he thought it was an issue, he would have just removed the rest of the pills from the apartment before leaving. Or, you know, not left at all. Reeser was 170 pounds, so it's possible she needed a larger dose to do the trick? Considering this was the same era that housewives were popping Valium like Tic Tacs and driving around town with their babies in the front seats of their cars with no seatbelts, I'm going to go ahead and assume that taking four sleeping pills was just sort of what one did back then. She was also wearing a highly flammable fabric, which was common at the time. And with the combination of the sleeping pills and apparently no dinner, she may have been so asleep that she didn't know what was happening until it was too late. Hopefully, she just never knew, because... Ugh. But it gets worse. According to the official police report, all the clues, including the fatty residue left behind in the spot in which she'd been sitting led investigators to believe the heat from the flame liquefied her fat, which then seeped out of her skin and acted as fuel for the fire. But the most confounding thing about this whole awful affair is Reeser's shrunken skull. That's the thing, in my opinion, people should have been focusing on. The St. Petersburg Times reported that Wilton M. Kroger, an anthropologist from the University of Pennsylvania, had disagreed that Reeser was a victim of spontaneous human combustion. He said Reeser's head should have exploded if she caught on fire, which is so awful, I can't. I just can't. But the point is, bones don't generally shrink in a fire. They aren't clay pots in a kiln. If they did, people would receive a tiny skull along with their loved one's ashes when they had them cremated. How delightful. Also, as Krogman pointed out, it takes an awfully hot flame over a long period of time to cremate a body. He said, I cannot conceive of such complete cremation without more burning in the apartment. But I don't think he offered an alternate theory. So I guess we're all just left to shrug our shoulders and thank our elected officials that highly flammable clothing is generally not a thing anymore, even though that still doesn't explain how her head shrunk. Or even how she was mostly cremated without the rest of her apartment suffering more damage. I don't know, strangers. All I can say is, one way or another, smoking kills. Strangers, my best friend loves to buy new clothes. Honestly, I don't know where she gets the money for her constantly revolving closet of fashion. I, on the other hand, hate shopping, unless it's for candy. But I do have to get dressed for public occasionally, so I rely on Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix sets you up with outfits that fit your body, style, and mood. I let my Stitch Fix stylist know what colors, patterns, and fabrics I do and don't like, 
and I can get a fix on my schedule, whether that's regularly, every month or so, or just when I need a refresh. Stitch Fix sends me five pieces, and I can keep whatever I like and send back what I don't in the super convenient included return packaging. And if I keep all five items, I get a discount on the whole fix. Plus, with each item you keep or send back, your Stitch Fix stylist gets to know your style. And if your style changes or you have a specific occasion to dress for or whatever, you can let your stylist know and get pieces for exactly what you need. Stitch Fix sources from over a thousand brands, so no matter what your style, they have the fix for you. And the best part is you don't even have to get out of your PJs. Well, not until you get your fix anyway. Skip the stores and the crowds and get styled by a personal Stitch Fix stylist who gets you. Thanks, Stitch Fix. They just get me. And they'll get you too. Try today at stitchfix.com strange and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com strange. Stitchfix.com strange. People seem to think that spontaneous human combustion is when a person suddenly bursts into flame with zero presence of fire. Like they're just sitting there minding their own business with nary a cigarette, cigar, space heater, or fireplace nearby, and then bang, they're on fire. But this is not so. According to the Journal for Burn Care and Research, quote, the term spontaneous human combustion refers to a situation when a body is found with significant portions of the middle parts of the body reduced to ashes, much less damage to the head and extremities, and minimal damage to the direct surroundings of the body. Typically, no observable source of ignition is found in the vicinity of the victim, and a bad-smelling oily substance is noted, end quote. This, of course, doesn't mean that there isn't a source of ignition. It just means that either no one saw the ignition source and or no evidence of an ignition source was left behind. Connor Brady of the Irish Times said in 1986, The phenomenon reposes in the extreme degree of destruction. Nobody seriously argues that people burst into flames on their own. I mean, I think people do seriously argue that. But people also think the Earth is flat, Trump won the 2020 election, and that the movie Love Actually is a heartwarming holiday classic. So, Spontaneous human combustion became a topic of pop culture fascination in the early 19th century after press reports of people burning to death in what seemed like mysterious circumstances. It was also a time in which candles and lanterns were ubiquitous throughout households, and that, paired with the alarming amount of dangerous and flammable materials used in clothing, was a recipe for human a flambe. In his 1852 novel Bleak House, Charles Dickens killed off one of his characters with spontaneous human combustion. I've never actually read any Charles Dickens, despite having seen and been in several productions of A Christmas Carol. And while I can appreciate that he was a great talent of his day, I am grateful that literary styles have changed because this stuff is dense. He wrote, quote, Here is a small burnt patch of flooring. Here is the tinder from the little bundle of burnt paper, but not so light as usual seeming to be steeped in something. And here is, is it the cinder of a small charred and broken log of wood sprinkled with white ashes? Or is it coal? 
oh horror, he is here. And this from which we run away, striking out the light and overturning one another into the street, is all that represents him. End quote. Here is a copy of Strunk and White's The Elements of Style, Charles. But I digress. Now, I'm no scholar of 19th century language, but if I'm not mistaken, I think the small charred and broken log or coal is supposed to be the dude's dick. I mean, honestly, it could literally be any other part of the guy's body, but let's just decide it's his dick because that's more fun. Dick ends continued, quote, Call the death by any name your highness will, attribute it to whom you will, or say it might have been prevented how you will. It is the same death eternally, inborn, inbred, engendered in the corrupted humors of the vicious body itself, and that only, spontaneous combustion, and none other of all the deaths that can be died." End quote. Again, no comprende, compadre, but I think Dickens figured out that something inside the body was fueling the fire long before actual science had figured that out. Cue the Charles Dickens subreddits calling me an idiot. And ugly, to boot. Anyway. According to a piece on mental floss by Thomas Morris from 2018, Dickens was inspired by the real-life case of 62-year-old Countess Cornelia de Bandy, an account of which appeared in two issues of The Gentleman's Magazine in 1731. Her body had burned up in her bedroom with no apparent cause and leaving nothing else burnt. A layer of clammy and foul-smelling ash had settled in the bedroom. Turns out the Countess used camphor oil on her body to relieve cough and cold symptoms. And as a piece for the website Wonders and Marvels recounted, the author of the second article in the Gentleman's Magazine, quote, proposed that the fire had been caused by the combination of spirit of camphor and fermentation of bodily juices. In the right circumstances, the first could cause heating and chafing, while the second could cause a flash of flame. The body was a bit like a powder magazine. When put into violent motion, gunpowder could blow up a magazine without any spark. According to the author, the human body had similar characteristics with its fatty and saline particles. After all, some people's sweat even smelled like brimstone. The result of mixing camphor and bodily fermentation kindled at once in the veins and most minute vessels of the body. The fire consumed the body in a moment. End quote. Of course, in all likelihood, rather than exploding like a human grenade, the flame from a lantern or candle probably caught her clothes, encouraged by the camphor oil and then fed by the Countess's own body fat. In a far more contemporary incident, in early December of 1966, a gas meter reader entered the home of 92-year-old Dr. John Irving Bentley, as usual, to read the meter in the basement. But as soon as he went into the house, he noticed a pile of ash on the floor under a smoldering hole in the ceiling. As he went upstairs, the gas man noticed a bluish-gray smoke and a sickly sweet odor. Upstairs, next to the hole, he found the charred remains of Dr. Bentley's leg and bathrobe. 
As a piece for Endeavor News in 2015 put it, quote, such complete disintegration of a body normally requires temperatures of more than 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit and several hours. Even with that, bone segments must be pulverized, end quote. And, quote, paint on the adjacent bathtub was blackened but not blistered. The rubber tips of Dr. Bentley's walker did not melt, even though it was positioned directly over his burning body. End quote. Some people were quick to assume Dr. Bentley had spontaneously burst into flame without cause. However, experts, including those who examined the remains and the burn location, agreed that the doctor was a regular pipe smoker who not only frequently dropped matches and ashes onto his robe, as evidenced by the copious old burn marks, but who also kept boxes of matches in his robe pockets. According to the piece in The Endeavor, Joe Nickel at The Skeptical Inquirer and forensic analyst John F. Fisher agreed that, quote, materials under a human body, such as a floor that is exposed to fire, could help retain melted fat that flows from the body, allowing the fat to volatize, burn, and in turn yield more liquefied fat, end quote. Ugh, ugh. Joel Nickel theorized in another piece for the Skeptical Inquirer, quote, Apparently waking to find his clothing on fire, Dr. Bentley made his way into the bathroom with the aid of his aluminum walker, probably at an accelerated pace, where he vainly attempted to extinguish the flames. Broken remains of what was apparently a water pitcher were found in the toilet. Once the victim fell on the floor, his burning clothing would have ignited the flammable linoleum. Beneath that was hardwood flooring and wooden beams. Wood for a funeral pyre. Cool air drawn from the basement in what is known as the chimney effect could have kept the fire burning hotly. End quote. But again, science and facts aren't for everyone, and they don't seem to be for researcher and author of the book Ablaze, Larry E. Arnold, who believes that geomagnetic fluxes, such as the one he says happened in the days on and around Dr. Bentley's death, can cause supernatural occurrences such as spontaneous human combustion. A neighbor of Dr. Bentley's, Ernie Mosh Jr., never believed the official cause of death either, and he pointed out that there was an increase in UFO sightings on December 4th and 5th of that year. The piece in the Endeavor explained it this way, quote, These may actually have been manifestations of the magnetic phenomena perhaps tied to energy lines emitting particularly strong power, Mosh suggests. A form of lightning may have struck Dr. Bentley, causing the intense heat that reduced his body to ashes, end quote. I feel like it's been a really long time since we've had a blame-it-on-the-aliens argument. It feels like nice, familiar territory. You can always count on these guys. Four years later, and some 3,200 miles away in Ireland, on March 28, 1970, 89-year-old Margaret Hogan's remains were found in her home by the chair she'd been in when her neighbor, who regularly came by to care for Mrs. Hogan, had checked in on her the afternoon before. The neighbor reported nothing out of the ordinary when she'd left Mrs. Hogan's home, but the next day, the room in which Mrs. Hogan had been sitting was covered in black fat-laden soot. 
The Irish Times revisited the event in 2018 and reported, quote, plastic flowers on a table in the center of the room had been reduced to liquid and a television with a melted screen sat 12 feet from an armchair containing the ashen remains of Margaret Hogan, end quote. Connor Brady, who would go on to become the editor at the Irish Times, was a reporter at the time of the incident and recalled, The lady had been reduced to a little pile of ashes. It was just two little ankles sticking out. There had been evidence in the room of the most intense of heat. The television set was turned into a blob in the corner. But there was very little evidence of fire, a bit of charring around where she was sitting. And in his original article for the Irish Times in 1970, Brady wrote that, A pathologist who carried out the postmortem on the remains said that he had never seen such complete destruction of human tissue. Apparently, investigators were flummoxed and said there was no apparent cause of the fire, but there was a small coal fire burning in the stove when Mrs. Hogan's neighbor had left. Why that didn't count as a possible cause of the fire is beyond me. One would think that a fire might be the cause of another fire? To this point, the piece in the Irish Times had this to say, quote, In theory, a spark from the fire could have ignited Mrs. Hogan's clothes. However, the story notes it was difficult to visualize such utter destruction of human tissue arising from a fire of this nature. But it is even more difficult to conceive of such a fire reducing a body, bones included, to ashes and cinder without causing a conflagration in the room, end quote. As far as I know, no one has studied the geometric flux in the area around the time of the incident, so it's still possible it was supernatural magnetic forces and or aliens. Back in the old U.S. of A. on March 26, 1986, in upstate New York, retired firefighter George Mott's son, Kendall, went to check on his dad when he hadn't heard from him. As he approached his father's house, he knew something was wrong because the windows were brown and the doorknob was warm to the touch. When he went inside, he found his father's remains, which were just ashes, a few pieces of bone, and a fragment of his skull. Aside from that, the fire damage around him was almost nil. Apparently, most of his bedding was untouched, as well as a box of matches nearby and Mott's air mask, which was still pumping out air. No one was able to reach a definitive answer as to the cause of the fire. According to Joe Nickel at the Skeptical Inquirer, some theories included, quote, that an electric arc shot out of an outlet and ignited Mott's clothing, and second, that an undetected gas leak had been responsible, end quote. It's hard to imagine that a retired firefighter wouldn't have smelled a gas leak before it blew him up. Also, was there a leaking gas line directly under his bed? Like, wouldn't a gas leak have kind of blown a lot of things up? Also, I hate to be the kind of guy who agrees with conspiracy theorists, but as writer Larry Arnold put it in his book Ablaze, quote, there was incredible localized damage done to the body. George Mott was incinerated to an extent that, we have been told by forensic experts, could only be replicated inside a crematorium operating at 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit or more for 12 long hours, end quote. 
According to Joe Nickel, however, it's possible that Mott, who was a former smoker, had kind of given up on himself because of his declining health and was like, fuck it, I'm having a cigarette. And that, in addition to the medical oxygen tank right next to Mott's bed, might have sparked the flame. Though there isn't any mention of a pack of cigarettes anywhere nearby. But if stories from the past don't light your fire, maybe one from just a few years ago will spark something inside of you. Wow. Strangers, this morning I opened the freezer and I cannot begin to describe my delight when I realized there was not only a loaf of cranberry pecan bread, but also a package of croissants. I really, really love wild grain. I customize each box, so when I know I'm going to be in a sandwich kind of mode, I'm getting mostly bread. And when it's time for pasta, I stock up on their delicious hand-cut fresh-made pastas. And if I'm planning a dinner party, I make sure I have delicious pastries. When I was growing up, my mom would stop at the local bakery every other day or so and pick up a fresh baguette. But the local bakeries are almost all gone, replaced by yet another coffee place. And grocery store bread just doesn't cut it. Everything from wild grain goes from freezer to table in 25 minutes or less and skips all the unnecessary preservatives and nasty ingredients that come in typical factory-made breads. You can decide how often to get your wild grain delivery, skipping or pausing deliveries if you need to. Wild Grain is a small company up in Boston that utilizes small local bakeries to deliver anywhere in the contiguous United States. And for every four new memberships, they deliver meals to a Boston food bank. So Wild Grain is good for your body and the community. And of course, don't forget about the free croissants for life. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com strange to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com strange. That's wildgrain.com strange, or you can use promo code strange at checkout. Strangers, something I've learned as I've gotten older is if you buy cheap stuff, you end up spending more in the long run having to replace cheap stuff. Also, those plastic vertical blinds they put in most apartments these days are brutal if you have pets or children or you actually open and close your blinds on a daily basis. Also, did you know the right blinds can help keep your heat and cooling bills down? Get yourself some good quality blinds that will look great and last with three-day blinds. Whether you're looking to upgrade to smart blinds or you're redecorating and need a new aesthetic, the folks at 3-Day Blinds work with local professional trained experts who will work with you step-by-step to design, measure, and install the perfect blinds for your space. With 3-Day Blinds, you don't even have to get off your couch. You can choose from thousands of options to fit any budget, and you'll get actual samples so you can see what the blinds will really look like in your space. Plus, right now, you'll get even more quality for your money during their buy one, get one 50% off sale. You don't have to break the bank for high-quality, beautiful blinds. Right now, you can get three-day blinds, buy one, get one 50% off deal on custom blinds, shades, shutters, and drapery. For a free, no-charge, no-obligation consultation, just head to 3dayblinds.com strange. That's buy one, get one 50% off when you head to 3dayblinds.com strange. One last time, that's the number three, dayblinds.com strange.
On September 17, 2017, 70-year-old retired construction worker John Nolan was walking down the street in London, minding his own business, when all of a sudden, and seemingly from out of nowhere, he burst into flames. Horrified onlookers called emergency services who airlifted Nolan to Broomfield Hospital in Chelmsford, Essex, where doctors found 65% of his body covered in third-degree burns. He died in the hospital the next day. Initially, no one could account for how Nolan caught on fire. To the people who'd witnessed it, one moment Nolan wasn't on fire and the next moment he was. Apparently, though, the coroner decided Nolan was likely lighting a cigarette and accidentally setting himself on fire. He did have a pack of cigarettes and two lighters on him at the time of his death. It's hard to imagine that absolutely no one noticed him lighting the cigarette before the fire started or that no one saw him drop a cigarette. As far as I know, there were no spent cigarettes collected from around the site of the accident to be tested for DNA. To me, the most perplexing thing about this whole affair is not how he might have caught on fire, but that he was on fire for six minutes. Six minutes. And there were witnesses. I can understand that maybe Nolan was an older guy and maybe couldn't stop, drop, and roll too fast, but surely someone could have helped him in six whole minutes? I am neither the smartest nor the bravest person on the planet, but if I saw a person on fire... I would do everything I could to put them out. To be fair, reports say that onlookers did try to help, but how the fuck hard can it be to put out a fire on a person? Also, how is it that not a single video of this incident can be found? Are Londoners not as phone-obsessed as we Yankees are? I also want to say there is a small piece of me that wonders if this whole story is fake. It seems like most of the papers that covered it weren't the most reputable papers, like The Sun and The Daily Mirror. On the other hand, perhaps the Times of London felt the whole thing was beneath them? In 2013, 65-year-old Danny Van Sant was found burned to death in his kitchen near Tulsa, Oklahoma, after a neighbor noticed smoke coming from his apartment. Eventually, the medical examiner would state that Van Sant likely died while smoking from the coronary artery disease they'd found during autopsy, and a cigarette lit the initial flame that his subcutaneous fat fueled until he was reduced to ash. Reporters couldn't believe that experts in the case were calling the death a case of spontaneous human combustion because, again, people erroneously think the term means a human bursts into flame by some kind of divine intervention, when the term just means something lit someone's clothes on fire and their fat caused the fire to burn longer than it would have otherwise. It's the word spontaneous that trips people up, and rightly so, as the word literally means performed or occurring as a result of a sudden inner impulse or inclination and without premeditated or external stimulus. But, as the late Paddy Bofin, who was the city coroner in Dublin, Ireland in the 1950s, said, Spontaneous combustion does not mean that the fires are in fact spontaneous in origin. It's simply a term carried on in forensic literature to describe a set of circumstances in which a person is burned to death without an obvious source for the fire. I suppose spontaneous sounds better than human fat-fueled. 
I'd rather die of spontaneous human combustion than human fat-fueled combustion. It's understandable that people back in ye olden times might not have understood what scientists have now termed the human wicking effect, which is, as I've explained frankly too many times for my own comfort, the process by which one's own fat acts as a fuel source and burns them to death. Said scientists have conducted really gross studies with pigs to prove this theory. Long story short, the fat inside the body can fuel a fire long enough to completely or nearly completely incinerate that body. But our buddy Larry Allen explains in his 1995 book, Ablaze, that it's far more likely that an invisible, unknown force is responsible for this phenomenon. As Brian Dunning at the Skeptoid podcast put it, quote, Arnold proposes that a particle that he called a pyrotron strikes the victim's body and ignites it from within. His pyrotron is unknown to science, of unknown origin, is undetectable, and has no describable properties, except that it seems to have something to do with kundalini yoga." End quote. And as Jennifer Owlett from the Scientific American blog network put it in 2011, Quote, we give Arnold points for creativity and coming up with a really cool moniker for his imaginary new particle. A pyrotron sounds really cool, much cooler than his alternative hypothesis that too much stress causes folks to burst into flames. Alas, it does not. End quote. British biologist and author Brian Ford's theory is that when people are ill, their body builds up enough acetone, which, when sparked by something like a static electricity charge, catches on fire. I don't know about you, and maybe it's because I'm a trash bag human, but when I work out, sometimes I smell acetone. And it turns out it's because our bodies do indeed produce the same chemical that we use to strip our nails of polish. This theory doesn't necessarily discount the human fat-fueled theory. It just offers an alternative explanation for how the fire starts. And there are actually a lot of theories. Another alternative theory for the ignition source is a large amount of built-up static electricity which, when discharged, catches clothing on fire. Now I'm going to have to go through life with socks and dryer sheets plastered to my pant legs because I am not willing to risk my life to save my dignity. Oh well, I will heretofore be known as old Sparky Sock Legs. Another theory outlined in a 2002 piece in New Scientist is about ball lightning. Quote, glowing spheres of ball lightning float above the ground for up to a minute, usually when thunderstorms are nearby. Eyewitness reports have often been dismissed as fantasy, but with around 10,000 sightings over the past few decades, scientists are now convinced that it really exists, end quote. So far, this is only circumstantial, or at least it was in 2001, and requires a lot of study by a lot of different people from a lot of different schools of science. And then there are the really out-there theories, like the explosive mitochondrial cell theory put forward by author John Hamer in his book The Entrancing Flame in 1996, in which basically victims of spontaneous human combustion fall into some kind of trance that then somehow makes the gases in their mitochondrial cells explode. 
But as Owlette from the Scientific American Blog Network says, quote, that hypothesis might make sense if hydrogen and oxygen actually existed in gas form inside a mitochondrial cell, but they don't. And a good thing, too, otherwise the very act of inhaling would cause spontaneous ignition, end quote. But author Michael Harrison, in his 1976 book, Fire from Heaven, believes it's ghosts living inside our bodies because, duh. As explained by the blog Metal Sucks, quote, he claimed that since ghosts were located at the core of our corporeal forms, it makes sense that the energy they produce would create an outward burst of flame when it comes in contact with a fat and booze-filled body. End quote. Sure, it makes sense. Never mind that not everyone who has suffered from spontaneous human combustion has been terribly fat or booze-filled. But my favorite explanation is the methane in the gut theory, which proposes that too much methane gathered in the gut can cause an internal explosion. But as Brian Dunning points out, Quote, one problem with the methane hypothesis is that cows produce even more gas than humans. And if it were true, we'd expect spontaneous cow combustion to be common. But we don't have any reports of this, end quote. Though he does go on to admit, quote, cows don't wear a lot of flammable rayon acetate nightgowns and their nighttime place of rest is rarely an overstuffed chair beside a crackling fire. They spend much less time smoking than humans as their hooves lack the manual dexterity needed to operate a cigarette lighter, explaining the lack of Saturday night barnyard hilarity, end quote. Brian Dunning honestly never fails to amuse. He's a great writer. I highly recommend his stuff. One of the strangest things about all of these cases is the lack of smoke detectors. The retired firefighter didn't have a working smoke alarm. The infirmed people who were largely stuck at home didn't have working smoke alarms. Considering the stinky, fatty soot all over the rooms where a lot of these people died, doesn't that connote stinky, fatty smoke? Anyway, in these days of nest cams that people for some inexplicable reason have going all the time in their living rooms? Seriously, what is that? Is everyone okay? It seems to me that it's only a matter of time before one of these spontaneous human combustions is caught on camera and perhaps then the mystery will finally be solved. Until then, stranger, be careful where and when you smoke, what you wear, and make sure you don't have any open flames going when you're feeling particularly sleepy. And make sure the batteries work in your smoke detectors. And, of course, don't fart near any candles. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, a young pregnant woman goes to help a neighbor and never comes back. When police finally uncover what happened to her, her family is left to wonder how they could have missed all the clues that were right there. The tragic death of Savannah LaFontaine Greywind. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, and produced by Natalie Grillo and Angela Palladino. Research was by Jess McKillop, editing by Eve Kerrigan, Sound engineering and mixing by Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Ryan Garcia and Luther Creek. 
And if you want even more strange and unexplained, head on over to our Patreon where you get three bonus episodes a month for just five bucks. And for seven bucks, you get all that plus all the regular episodes ad free. Just go to patreon.com slash strange and unexplained. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for a topic we should cover, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. You can find us on social media at SNUpod. Join our Facebook page to join in the conversation. If you like our show, please do help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. A five-star review and a quick sentence really helps the show out a lot. If you don't like our show, you can leave a terrible review. The name of the podcast is Triggered with Don Jr. 